You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with Hélène Chan, Senior Director of Inside Sales. In fact, a person that I've had the opportunity to work with a couple of times, if I'm not mistaken, Elaine, I think we had uh, Centrify where we worked together and more recently Illumio. That's right. And how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your podcast. This is exciting. Absolute pleasure. We always speak so seriously the rest of the time about all the things we are doing and conversion rate and stuff like that. So it's going to be good to have a little bit more of a side conversation today. About Absolutely. A hybrid model for SDR team. That's what we want to talk about today. But before we get into the conversation, would you mind just giving us a little bit of background about yourself, Elaine? Absolutely. Um, so I am a Bay Area, California native. So I work here in California. Um, and really, I, I sort of grew my career in inside sales in the tech B2B space. So I've had the opportunity to kind of do what it is that I do in terms of building up um, inside sales teams um, so that uh, we could leverage a team of uh, sales professionals to really build sales pipeline and revenue. Um, so it's been a, a two-decade career of mine that uh, continue to, continues to go strong. Good. Two decades. Time flies by. Yes. Um, <laughs> it is, yeah, particularly when, uh, when we are locked at home. It feels like last year was, was going so quick. Um, so, so you've been leading sales development team for two decades, as you mentioned. So, so I have a lot of experience in managing internal people and, as well as external people. So, so first of all, before we get into the, 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 the must-do, must-not-do, what's your definition of the hybrid team? So I would define the hybrid team as um, really leveraging and extending what is normally kind of your full-time employees into kind of leveraging partnerships, right? I think if anything that I've learned in the you know, span of my career – uh, things are always changing. And uh, the more diversity that you bring into your inside sales programs, the, the, the more scale that you can develop for success, right? Uh, especially in technology, um, it is so rapidly changing that um, your tactics need to evolve very quickly. Messaging needs to uh, continue to grow as fast as the market changes. And uh, the more street on the, the the more feet on the street, the more knowledge that you have from different pockets of of expertise, um, the better you can navigate and grow um, and change and evolve. Yeah, that makes sense. So, f- from your experience. And, and we know that you know, you've been, a, we talk about a hybrid team that will be able to complement each other pretty well. Uh, are we talking about people that will be doing inbound response management and also outbound and also inside sales? Is that, is that the full circle or is there, is there anything that I'm missing in that hybrid model you definition? Know- I think it could mean a lot of different things for different companies, right? In, in the different companies that I've worked at, I've used kind of a hybrid model or I've used internal versus external resources differently. So, for example, you know, earlier in my career, it wasn't as popular to use um, third-party resources. They weren't yeah. as available as, as I feel like um, the market has now um, 
has really opened up for inside sales. And so there's a lot more companies today that offer these types of services than um, let's say 10, 15 years ago, where really the only service that you could leverage from a hybrid perspective was use a third party to get appointments and um, just get in the door. Um, What I have seen evolve over time is really specialization that allows you to leverage third parties beyond just appointment setting. You can almost use them in, in almost the best practices to expand your existing infrastructure through a third party to get more reach and get more scale um, and, you know, treat them as an extended part of the internal ecosystem. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. And we definitely felt that way when we worked with you. Uh, in fact, I, I, I recall at some point we were kind of a fix, like almost like the, the, the end on the hole in the bucket, because you may have someone that has been, um, you know, maternity leave or whatever it would be and you just need someone to to do a short-term replacement as well as potentially a new function or we were doing it that way but we're thinking about doing it this way we don't really know to get going quickly can you guys come and help us so that that makes perfect sense so is that what would be the best scenario to to deploy an hybrid team from your perspective and experience in which in which way does it work the best? What, what are the scenarios that you need to be into? Yeah, so, you know, I think where I've leveraged a third party or like a hybrid model, um, I've actually done it several different ways, and in, in, including what you shared. Um, you know, there may be times where you need uh, coverage because of changes on the team. Um, I've experienced situations where, you know, with product launches, you, you need to do a special form of messaging and really do a, a bit more kind of think tank research. Um, So building out a special campaign and a special team to help figure out how to build that out before you invest a lot of that time into building up an internal team, leveraging third parties to do things very quickly at scale and to really help with um, messaging that hasn't necessarily been proven out. Um, That's been an area that I think um, a third party has really lended their expertise You know, I've actually also done some interesting things where working in tech, there's a lot of channel-based business. And, you know, sometimes when you're just building up that channel-based programs, there's not necessarily an opportunity to have an internal team work special call campaigns, but really leveraging a third party to do joint channel programs has uh, allowed inside sales to scale beyond what an internal team has the capacity or the time commitments to to do. So that's another area that I've um, seen um, leveraging third parties really build scale. And then really lastly, I think there are many areas at which um, language specialization is required Mm -hmm. and having a full-time employee um, cover an area that uh, requires that can get very expensive yeah. building that internally. So leveraging a third party uh, allows you to really get the scale and also that specialization that's needed in certain pockets of the world that require specific languages. Yeah, that's true. We've been cutting and dicing a few people for you in the past. <laughs> yes. The language cuisine, but which is great. You know, this is one of the value. If, if, if for one FT, you can get two languages, you know, that's, that's, that's value. So that, that's what we, that's actually what we are priding ourselves as, as one of our USP. Um, talking about all that, so if we were to speak about pros and cons of inside versus outside, and, and I guess, you know, 
for you, clearly the best world is a bit of both. So there is clearly uh, pros and cons on both sides. So let, let's start with the inside team. What would be from your perspective, the pros and cons of, of, of just building everything and doing everything in-house? Yeah, I think um, there are kind of pros and cons for for everything really but you know the pros of having an internal team you know you can cultivate and truly have an you know a team that is interlocked with the company's success right typically in tech um you know people join uh, exciting startup technology companies because of the equity equity opportunity to be a part of of a company and so as you build a team you really have their heart and soul poured into uh, the success of the company. And so, you know, that's a great thing um, as you cultivate an internal team is you have that commitment and that, you know, the, the blood flows with the passion to really help that company be successful. Um, but, you know, there's also the con to it in that it takes a lot of time for management to build and train and develop and scale that team. And sometimes, you don't have the, the time or the scale to do something like that. And so there, yeah. there are often opportunities where leveraging a third party to move very quickly, you know, especially for startup companies that are just getting started to figure out what that longer term scale could be. And so you almost can start with an outsourced company and then eventually bring things internal as you determine and establish the rinse and repeatability of what sales development does. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you, Alain. I think the, 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 a topic that I've been discussing a, a fair amount recently, and, and, and you are the perfect person to discuss it with, because uh, as you said, you are born and bred in the Bay Area, you know, been working in that space in the, for, for, for a fair amount of time, is the lack of talent, you know, uh, or, or maybe not the lack of talent, sorry, let me put a positive spin on that. The, the amount of demand, because I think, I think the offer is the offer, and the offer may have grown over time. But uh, as you know, we started our business operatics. We were based in San Jose, uh, downtown mm-hmm. San Jose, at the bottom of San Pedro Square. Fantastic location. Oh, great yeah. spot. Absolutely. Could go for a few fresh beers after, after our art shift at work, which is always, always, always lovely. Um, but um, yeah, we, we had to stop it because two issues. First of all, is that getting talent was competitive and difficult so you had we had to kind of we had to focus on recruiting people who have the right profile versus the right history because technically mm-hmm. we had to get people who are really early on their career did not really know what they want to do and there is a risk with that because they start in bidia and two weeks later they don't like it they saw that they would like it but they don't like it and then the other thing that it us quite hard is people who start to become good and literally mm-hmm. want a promotion within three months. You know, yes. they want your job in three months' time, or they want to start their own company. Or we had some guys starting a brewery, not for long. You probably did it for two weeks, but they, they, there is that sort of mindset of really entrepreneurial people. And we found it extremely difficult. Not ex- we don't f- we didn't find we found it difficulty we found the difficulties in the loyalty of the staff and yeah. being able to retain. So. The difficulty was more in the in having some sort of consistency. Okay, um, what's your views on that? I mean, do you because most of your team have been built in the Bay Area? Have you had difficulties? Have you experienced that? Is it becoming more difficult, more challenging? 
You know, I, I think it's always been a challenge, right? I think finding talent is always uh, the hardest challenge in, you know, any role, any, any position, right? It, it costs a lot of money to find the right talent, to retain them and to develop them. Um, in the Bay Area, there certainly is the, you know, is a big demand for, you know, hungry, you know, smart, intelligent, passionate salespeople. And, um, but I would say in the time that I have, been doing what it is that I do, I have seen this role really expand to other pockets of the country and, and of the world, right? You'll, you kind of know as an inside sales leader that there are certain areas that are hot spots for, for good talent. You know, Utah's been building up. I've had a team there. You know, Boston's a big hub for inside sales. You know, you almost find a lot of tech companies and inside sales hotspots kind of build up because when there's the demand and there are you know, always newer graduates from college that want to get into technology and want to get into sales. There's talent, but it moves so quickly that you need to be quick at finding the right talent, building them up and, you know, having that career path to drive them to continue to invest in, you know, the company and to build that uh, career with you. And it does get very challenging, which is sort of why having the third parties um, come into help um, with that coverage as you're going through the ebbs and flows of, you know, team development, um, having a third party be a hybrid part or an extension of that team just kind of builds that consistency. Yeah. 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 We, we, that's kind of technically we've done exactly what you, what you just described and we are thinking about potentially opening another center in North America in particular in Europe, we have less so of that issue. So in Europe, what we've decided to do is to get out of the hub. Because if you get into an island or Barcelona where there is lots of native speakers, what we've seen doing is that, or what we've seen happening is people, so let's say you are Russian or you are from the Middle East, which are two languages that are relatively difficult to get by for that sort of role. The Russian guy would be in Ireland, so there is McAfee, there is, or let's not mention any vendor, but there is like five or 10 cybersecurity vendor, endpoint vendor of big names around there. And the same guys will go from one company to the other every six months with the same recruiter, increasing his salary by 5K, yeah. 10K jump, and literally 18 months later, come back to the first place and start a cycle again, yeah. doing the same job and just getting more money as time goes by because, you know, the same recruiter plays them and people are fighting for, for, for the shortage of languages. So what we decided to do in the UK is to, is to start south of London where well, we don't have a lot of competition around us. So it's very unique what we are doing. And, and, and that's fine. But in the US, we, we started in, a, in Texas. So in Dallas, when you did not have a lot of companies that were doing what we were doing in Dallas, but they all right. came. Now the competition is fierce. So we've got, uh, we've, got, uh, we've got a bit more of a difficulty to recruit uh, because there is lots of competition in, in recruitment, getting people out of university, right. stuff like that. But again, one of the great news that we, 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 we came to, or we discovered last year, unfortunately, with, with COVID, which is not a good news, uh, is the fact that we can become a complete invisible organization. Uh, people can work from home, a concept that myself, I was not too keen on. I wanted my yeah. team to be in place. I want to feel the atmosphere. So we still have a good part of the team that are in the office, but it kind of opened up the, the horizon in terms of the people that you could get to join the team. 
uh, and open up to new to new places potentially to get uh, to get newcomers coming in. Moving on to the outsource model, what have, the, what have been the, the shortcomings that you've seen from, from outsourcing, the difficulties that you had? And, and you know, by all means, feel free to discuss about some of the difficulties you may have had working with us at Operatics as well, because you know, mm-hmm. we have to be honest and to the point. And I'm sure that you know, when we have had difficulties, we, we, we work together to, to, to overcome them. Yeah. But yeah what I, think, I think the d- most difficult part is um, sometimes there's a misconception that when you leverage a third party that you can just uh, hire them and sort of set it and forget it. And the reality is you cannot, right? Um, the, the care and feeding that you would typically put into an in-house team, you still need to do a lot of that, um, you know, training the team, um, having ongoing cadences to be sure that there's a good flow of expectations and, um, you know, that as objections and new um, situations arise uh, that, that require the vendor's expertise to teach and and improve kind of the messaging. There needs to be a, a tight and a very close relationship with um, with the outsourced um, agency. And so, I think that's probably the the one challenge is really knowing and committing to providing the time and the coverage to help support that agency to be successful. Right yeah. to be a part of uh, of the company, I think that's one of the challenges that oftentimes come up is that learning curve of understanding how much you do need to um, to put towards the care and feeding of, of of a third party. I think the the other challenges in a hybrid model, you have an internal team and you have an external team building up the right culture so that, um, you know, a little bit of healthy competition is always a good thing. So that, that's a positive, but also creating that healthy dynamic of competition and making sure that operationally, if you're going to leverage a third party and the in-house team to cover inbound leads, how do you do that? Or if you're doing an inbound versus outbound model, um, the, the conundrum that most insight sales leaders come about is if someone is spending their time trying to break into a target account and then all of a sudden there's an inbound lead for that target account, did that come as a result of that person's heavy lift of really trying to break into that account? So building out that structure so that you could really have um, clean lines of division of labor, it takes time. And it takes kind of that operational commitment to be sure that you can divide and conquer appropriately uh, with the internal team and the external. Yeah, I agree. It's not impossible. It just takes time, coordination, collaboration between your ops people um, and, you know, the inside sales team and and that work around with the agency. Yeah, no, I I think that that makes perfect sense. In in terms of the the, the first point, it's uh, a... it was actually the second point. He actually, a best practice that we do more and more is to actually mix the team together uh, and, and, and get people to actually have a, a, a little bit of that healthy competition, as you mentioned. So yeah. we just need to make sure that we compare Apple with Apple uh, because it's actually quite rare that we operate in the same way as our clients would operate. So in most of the case, our client's team would get kind of the, the inbound, the, 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 the people coming in and showing interest. So it's more of a, a development role, if you will. Well, they may use us more for the ABS type of thing, so the account-based selling and the practice mm-hmm. stuff. But we still find a way to get into account and we find equivalent to, to, to have that sort of healthy competition and getting the team to meet with each other when we can. Yeah. Of course, it's different, but even if it's a Zoom call, getting to know each other 
And we've got some fantastic program where usually the internal team were often more knowledgeable than us because they spend more time in training because, as I mentioned, they do the development role rather than the proactive role. They are more in-depth with the product. They are closer to the prospect need from a personal perspective. So we can actually mm -hmm. get a ton of information from them and lots of war story that can help our proactive, proactive team to be successful. But then they're also very interested. It's interesting to see, as you mentioned, sometimes the proactive team go out, but you don't really get the success from the proactive and you come back from an inbound because the people that you've been touching. So yeah, it's about the, the fairness is important. Um, and, and when we've got the team working together, not thinking that they are competing with each other, it's the best possible way to, to, to make it work. I think that's a really important part point that you make because um, in the different ways that I've worked with third parties and, and even in the different ways that I've worked with operatics from company to company or even within the company, we continue to evolve and change um, the dynamics of the team to, to grow faster. And so, you know, I can say uh, like at Illumia, we started off uh, having operatics help out with some of the inbound coverage because we had had some internal changes in the company and, um, you know, later ended up shifting into reversing the model as we built up that internal team to then be ready to take more of the inbounds and then leverage third, the third party or leveraged operatics in this case to really focus on some of the target accounts um, to really help us get into the companies that we had a hard time getting into. And so that fluidness of uh, being able to morph and evolve that relationship is key. And it comes in forms of also connecting the different team members. And so one of the natural things that I saw happen is, um, you know, a good example is in our Europe uh, operations, we tie our internal reps and the operatics team very closely. So when we're doing our weekly meetings, um, we've got representatives on the internal team and operatics working together to share their experiences and to help each other out on accounts that, you know, may need a little bit of team working on. I appreciate that. And, and, and yeah, it, it has been working pretty well. And, and that's the thing you want. I think from a third party perspective, what we want to make sure we provide is that flexibility. Yes. Okay? Uh, and it's, it's easy to bring flexibility. So coming back to the first point you mentioned in terms of the you know, kind of what would be the tips to, to get the most out of your, 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 your outsource or your third party, you mentioned the fact that, you know, you need to do a bit of handholding. You know, you need to help them to get going. And that's particularly true when you do a proactive campaign. Unfortunately, I think it's not that the market has shifted, but there is lots of companies that are technically competitors of operatics and must be very desperate for business because they go out there and say, hey, you know what? We will work for free and you only pay us when we get results. Well, that's all good. But when you work in sales, it's like if your sales guys were coming to yeah. You know, that's okay. I don't need a basic salary. You just pay me when I close a deal. The good sales guy won't come, you know? So, so that's, that's the, but, but unfortunately that sort of mentality has acted against that, that statement that you made where people think that third party can be a, like a, 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 a disposable asset. Mm -hmm. uh, you just get them. So, okay, I'm going to plug them. This guy seems to have a bit of experience. Yeah. They work with a couple of my competitors. They must have a list. All right, off you go, guys. And if it doesn't work, see you in a month's time. If it doesn't work, don't contact me. But if it doesn't work, we're going to terminate you. 
we don't see a lot of clients doing that, but we've seen, um, we definitely see a little bit more of a commoditization of the way people manage their relationship with third party. And, and it's funny because it's working both ways. So yeah. it's much quicker than ever to win a new contract, to get someone to sign. People make quick decisions, but they yeah. also make quick decisions to turn things off if it's for some reason, you know, you have a bad week or a bad month. But unfortunately, in the BDR space, there is a lot of factors that can influence a bad week or a bad month. And, uh, but yeah, and, and I think, I know that working with you, and it's probably because you've done the job yourself. Unfortunately, we've got lots of people who are managing teams that may not have done the job themselves. Right. Or, or forgotten when they were doing the job. So they, so they forgot the, the challenge. So Ray, you had made a point earlier that triggered a thought in my mind in terms of working with third-party agencies. And um, that thought was also, not only does the, um, the relationship that you have with an outsourced entity require kind of that, that teamwork and collaboration, but I think one of the things that I have found is leveraging an outsourced agency to be a partner in, in planning and overcoming some of the growth challenges that a company might have. There's a breadth of experience that um, agencies bring because they work with so many other companies that when you go to them with some of the challenges that you have, they can really help create creative ideas on how they can help solve some of those you know, pipeline development or growth strategy challenges. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. We, we, um, we try to do our best at, at, at doing that. I think there is a few aspects. There is an aspect, an aspect on messaging there because you've got to adapt your message. And, and I think it's, uh, it's interesting to get that worldwide view. What's working in France is if, if, with, with something that works in California, works with a prospect in Boston or New York metro area, you approach them in the same way. So it's about, it's about the, the adaptation. And we try to keep a lot of data around that. Uh, it's always moving. In particular, last year, things have evolved a lot. I know that we, we were speaking uh, uh, at some point and we, we were trying to help our clients to understand where to focus in the U.S., because we had some states that were completely shutting down at the beginning of COVID and some of that were still, you know, in, in Texas, things were like kind of going. South were just like still going while California and New York was much more difficult to do business at some point. So we are trying to keep our, like a heat map of, of where we should focus or not. But yeah, we, we, we try to provide that insight. Now, I think the, the, the last question that I've got for you really, Elaine, is, um, you know, if it was to... Uh, if it was to do it all again with all the things that you've, you've learned over the, the last 20 years of managing inside and, and, and outside team, what would you say is the model that you would come to? Uh, and when I say the model you would come to, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, you will be an organization that receives a fair amount of inbound, probably an organization that is between the U.S. Uh, and uh, Europe, if not APAC, so like potentially some languages. So. If you had to just take everything from all your learning, how would you manage the whole thing and how would you deploy internal versus external? Yeah, I think um, number one, I would focus on keeping my plan as simple as possible because if I make it too complex, it it really becomes a nightmare to manage. And so uh, where I have found the the best blend uh, is in two areas. 
number one, leveraging third-party resources to break into those regions and those territories that I explained are oftentimes difficult because you need that language specialization. There is, in my career, I have not been able to build that global scale without leveraging third parties because you just don't have the cost advantage of hiring full-time employees that you know, are needed in, in the vast coverage of languages um, internationally. Um, the second area that I would really lean on is um, leveraging the third parties in areas where I am trying to break into net new accounts that is very challenging and difficult to break into. And part of that is with account-based programs, you can be smart about uh, targeting those accounts, but there's also um, times that it's very difficult to just put an inside seller and have them cold call their way through. Um, leveraging third parties that do have uh, their ways of also bringing in the relationships that they have with some of those target accounts um, actually open up an opportunity that I wouldn't have been able to do um, organically with my internal team. So those are two great ways that I have kind of seen the unsurpassed benefit of leveraging a hybrid model in uh, the times that I have leveraged companies like Operatics. Good. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for your insight today, Elaine. It was great. If, if anyone wants to connect with you and have a conversation, discuss, discuss some of the stuff that you, you, you mentioned today, what's the best way to get in all of you? Absolutely. I, I always love kind of sharing my my craft of inside sales with uh, other like-minded folks. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I can be easily found. I think linkedin.com slash in slash EY dash Chan. Okay, perfect. Well, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. So thank you very much for your time and all the insights share with us. Thank you. Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.